Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, if you would, please take out your Bibles and turn in them to Psalm number 15. Psalm number 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You can take that Bible and turn to page 397 in the front portion, and you'll be at Psalm 15. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning, all right? Let's get some honest answers. How many people here are list makers? Let me see the hands of those who are list makers. Oh, we've got a lot of list makers here, yeah. And uh, I am not an obsessive list maker, but I do like to make lists when it comes to things to do. And every vacation I get myself in trouble because I take out an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and in single spaces and double columns, I write down everything I want to get done while I'm on vacation. I never can get all of those things done. But I am a little bit of a list maker also. Now, I know some of you are sitting here and you think, you're thinking, I am annoyed by list makers. And I understand that too. But I do want you to know that God has an affection for lists. I mean, think about it. He came up with a list of the Ten Commandments. And then in Proverbs 6, we have a list of the seven things that God hates. And then in Galatians 5, we have a list of the deeds of the flesh and a list of the fruit of the Spirit. And then you have a list of the qualifications for spiritual leaders in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, just some examples of lists. Well, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we have another list before us in Psalm 15. It is a list of character worth building. And we have been pointing out that this list is not a prerequisite list for entering the family of God. Rather, it is a list of principles of conduct that we should develop and display in our life because we are a member of the family of God. In Psalm 15, we have some marks of the citizens of God's kingdom. And what's really interesting is that when we develop these and display these in our life, he tells us this at the very last phrase of the psalm, it will bring stability to our life. Now, in this list, there are 10 aspects of character, and we've begun to look at them. In verse 2, we saw some aspects in our personal life, three things we are to embrace. And then in verse 3, we saw some aspects in our interpersonal relationships, three traits we are to avoid. Today we're coming in verses 4 and 5, as we conclude our study, to some traits in our public practices, four things that are to be consistently present in your life and my life. Now, since we have our Bible open to Psalm 15, I want to read the psalm. So follow along in your Bible, please. David writes, O Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? He who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart. He does not slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and does not change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be shaken. He who does these things, no matter whatever circumstances there may come in our life, we will find ourselves on stable, solid ground. 
Now, what, what he says here, especially including this idea at the very end of the psalm, reminds me of what the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, when he said, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts upon them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and burst against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded upon the rock. Now, if you've just entered into our study of Psalm 15 today, I want to encourage you to get the previous messages, because we've covered the first six things in the list in our previous times, and you can go to our website at wildwoodchurch.org and get a hold of those messages. But we want to talk about the way we are to be, the character we are to build in our life, and our public practices, four things we're to grow in and to develop. And here's the very first one. As a citizen of, the, as a citizen of heaven, we are to be clear, number one, on our allegiances. And that comes from the first phrase there in verse 4 in whose eyes a reprobate is despised. Now, I want you to see when we talk about this idea of being clear in our allegiances is there's two aspects to it. It's like two sides of the same coin. And this first phrase in verse 4 refers to one side of the coin. It talks about a reprobate. What does that really mean? Well, reprobate is someone who is unprincipled, someone who is depraved, someone who rejects God's values. And that kind of a person is someone who is to be despised. And you're thinking, what does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word here is the word bazah, B-A-Z-A-H. And that means to disdain something, to not value something. So when we talk about being clear in our allegiances, the first aspect of that, if I could just reword that maybe in a way that you would maybe better understand it, it would be to say this, we are to disregard those who abandon God's standards. That's the first side of the coin. The second side of the coin is in the next phrase, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Literally, who give weight to those who fear the Lord, someone who fears the Lord as someone who sees God for who He is, and they obey Him. So let me just, I realize that's a lot of phraseology. Let me just summarize it all up. We're to be clear in our allegiances. That means we disregard those who abandon God's standards, and it means that we honor those who follow the Lord. I believe that the idea that David is trying to communicate to you and I from centuries past is reflected in the question, who are your heroes? Who do you admire? See, as a citizen, God desires, as a citizen of heaven, God desires us to have the right heroes. Who are you a big fan of? Who do you follow closely? And I think every one of us, to some extent or another, are all fans of various Hollywood stars or musical stars. Now, as you think about Hollywood stars and musical stars, some of them are some of them are good people, right? And others are are not so good. When you think of Hollywood in the music industry even, you you think of people that are openly promoting sexual indecency, right? There's some of those folks out there. 
who choose to pervert God's good gift to marriage by promoting things that are contrary to Scripture. There are some out there who like to mock marriage. I mean, they're mocking marriage. And Hebrews 13.4 says that marriage is to be held in high honor among all people. There are people out there whose values are diametrically counter to all that Scripture has to say. And really what it's saying is those ought not to be your heroes. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, Bruce, does this have anything to do with today? I mean, really. Is there any of that going on in our culture today? And the answer to that is absolutely. More than you might imagine. Many of you are aware of of Charles Manson, probably the most notorious murderer, mass murderer in recent American history. Do you know that there are websites out there that are selling, he's in prison for life, selling his art, and people are buying it, and you can get t-shirts that have Charles Manson on them. And we've got young people buying these t-shirts and wearing these t-shirts. I mean, what's going on here? And you know, Charles Manson also has a fan club. I don't know if you knew that. And at this fan club, you can write him letters. And do you know that he gets stacks and stacks of letters every month from fans of Charles Manson? I mean, it goes on from here. Do you know that you can buy T-shirts? You can go out there, you'll find them. You can find T-shirts with a picture of Stalin on them. The man who murdered 20 million people. And yet there's people buying his T-shirt and wearing it. Or you can buy a T-shirt of Chairman Mao from China, the man who is responsible for murdering 50 million people, and we've got people buying Chairman Mao t-shirts and wearing them. See, this is an issue in our culture, and we need to be careful about that. We need to be careful about our heroes. You know, not too long ago, I heard about um, the singer Madonna. Uh, She was having this latest worldwide concert tour. And I remember hearing about it, and I'm thinking, what? I mean, this lady's 52 years old. Why does anyone want to go see a 52-year-old in concert worldwide? In fact, the, the name that she had given to this concert tour was Sticky and Sweet. And it was interesting to me because I really did wonder, why would people go there? It actually showed up one night on TV. And I said, you know what, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to find out why it is that you have thousands and thousands of people going there. And I I have a couple of observations to make. One is I want you to know that Madonna is in remarkable aerobic condition. I mean, I could not believe what she did back to back to back to back to back to back to back. She's in incredible condition. And this concert tour was an amazing visual feast of video images and lights and these incredible dance numbers. And I could understand why people might say, that's a hero of mine, I want to go watch her. And yet, the sexual graphicness that's in part of that and the other moral values that she really just puts her finger on and mashes into the ground. See, that's not the kind of a person who ought to be one of our heroes. He 
He says, disregard those who abandon God's standards. You're not to be giving your time to people like that. You're not to be taking your money and invest them. You're not to be following them as a fan club member. I really want you to think about it this morning. Who are your heroes? Do you know that heroes do influence us? I remember as a young man, I was in my early teens, and one of my heroes was a guy by the name of Johnny Dolan. His real name was Jim Newell, but his radio name was Johnny Dolan, and he was on WHB radio in Kansas City, 710 AM, Radio 71 the world's happiest broadcasters. And you can listen to Johnny Dolan. You'd be rolling with Dolan on the air. And man, I love that guy. And, and when I was a young man, I, decide, I made a decision early in my junior high years, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a radio disc jockey. It didn't turn out quite that way. That is why I went to college, though, to take radio broadcast school. But heroes have an influence on us, you see. Who are your heroes? Do you know that some heroes are unsung heroes? I ran into one when I went to the University of Nebraska. His name was Dean Hatfield, and he was a man who worked his way through the dorms sharing the gospel of Christ and finding people like me, young believers who didn't know up from down. And Dean Hatfield poured into my life during my college time there, changed my whole perspective and I, I have no doubt that he sent more young men to seminary than any other person still breathing on this planet. But he's someone that no one really in, in Lincoln, Nebraska would necessarily recognize. But he's a hero, a real hero. I wouldn't be here today without Dean Hatfield. So who are your heroes? Who do you admire? And I don't really know what the Holy Spirit might be communicating in our midst, but it may very well be the Holy Spirit is saying to some of us, you need to reevaluate, you need to rearrange your personal pantheon of heroes. But the second part of that, there's some that we are to disregard, but there's others that we are to honor. He says, honor those who follow the Lord. And I want you to think about an unsung hero in your life. It may be a parent. It, it may be a mentor. It may be a leader. It may be a friend. And what does he say we should do with them? Honor them. I want you to think about an unsung hero in your life and think about this week dropping them an email, telling them what you appreciate about them, maybe giving them a phone call. But let them know that you view them as a hero in your life. And by the way, if you have some unsung heroes stories out there, I'd like to actually hear about them. If you have a story of an unsung hero in your life, would you just email that to me? You can reach me at brucehass at wildwoodchurch.org. Email me the story. And even if you're in Latvia and you hear this message, I would love to hear some stories of unsung heroes. So in our public practices, as a citizen of heaven, we are to be clear on our allegiances. That means we disregard those who abandon God's standards, and we honor those who follow the Lord. But there's a second thing that is to be consistently present in our life, and that's also found in verse 4. Look at the phraseology there, the end of the verse, he swears to his own hurt 
and does not change. Now, I'm going to explain the details of this, and then we're going to summarize this point. You remember I have said that Hebrew is a very picturesque language, and the word here that is translated swears in Hebrew is the word Shabbat, S-H-A-B-A. Shabbat means to promise or to take an oath, and Shabbat comes from the Hebrew word for seven. And you're thinking, well, how does that work? How does the idea of the, that swearing to something uh, comes from the Hebrew word for seven? In fact, Brown Driver Briggs, which is a Hebrew lexicon, says that one of the things I used to say in Hebrew times was you need to seven yourself. And you say, well, what does that mean, seven yourself? Well, I could just illustrate this. You could take this yarn that I have here, and uh, if you take this yarn and you wrap both hands around it and you pull on it, it's going to snap just like that. But if you seven the yarn, you take seven strands, you cannot break the seven strands. And that's the picture behind the Hebrew word here, Shabbat. The idea that we would call this, we would call this making a commitment. And so what he's really saying here at the end of verse 4 is this. As a child of the king, we are to keep our commitments even when it costs us, even to our own hurt. And even if it does hurt us, we don't change. I mean, it might cost us money to keep our commitment. It might cost us effort to keep our commitment. It might mean personal sacrifice, but we are to keep our commitments even when it costs us. The first thing that came to my mind is wedding vows. I mean, that's really what wedding vows are all about. Really what you do when you go to wedding vows, you're sevening yourself. You're saying, I'm going to keep this. I'm not going to break this. In Ecclesiastes 5.4 God says, pay what you vow. Jesus, Matthew 5, 7, said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. In other words, what David is really saying to us is that we need to be a promise keeper because we're child, a child of the king and he is a promise keeper, so I am to be a promise keeper. In other words, he's saying we're to do all we can to honor our commitments. I don't need to tell you that this is a culture that needs to hear that, right? I mean, we live in a culture that is quick to compromise our values in which promises are broken easily. We have this tendency to choose the, the route of least sacrifice. Whatever costs us the least, that is the route that we're going to go. He says we need to keep our commitments even when it costs us. I want to share an illustration of someone that did this, who's actually a little bit of a hero to me because he did this, and it's actually one of our elders, Marshall Bracken. Many of you wouldn't know this, but uh, you were around Oklahoma back in 1982, there was an economic collapse that occurred, and uh, many businesses had been borrowing and expanding, and his was one of those. But by 1983, like many businesses, they found that their liabilities far exceeded their assets. And Marshall wasn't sure what to do with his business. And so he went and sought out counsel, and he went to significant business and spiritual leaders in the metro area and said 
to them, what do you think I should do? And some of the counsel he got was this. You've got an albatross around your neck. What you need to do is you need to declare bankruptcy and get free. And then one of the persons who he was interacting with asked him this question. Marshall, have you done all that you can do? And he had to say, I haven't done all that I could do. And then he thought more about the hardship that would come on his vendors and suppliers. It sounds great. You just write, write this off in bankruptcy. But he knew a lot of his vendors and suppliers that had been friends, would, that would mean they would get nothing. And he finally concluded by thinking this. He said, I don't feel right about leaving these debts unpaid. And one other piece of counsel he got from a very wise, insightful man was, listen, if you take that route, it's going to take you multiple years. Multiple years. And I checked back with Marshall the other day just to clarify and, and refresh my own memory. He said, you know how long it took me? 20 years. From 1983 to 2002. But I paid it all off. And I believe that when that happened, a smile broke out on God's face. Now, I, please don't misunderstand me, okay? I'm not putting anybody on some kind of a guilt trip. I don't know what people's financial backgrounds are. I, I know that it, it may very well be that bankruptcy can be unavoidable. But I think we all ought to ask, if we're ever in a situation like that, have, have I done all that I can do? Because God is saying, do all that you can to honor your commitment to be a promise keeper. You know, it's really something. When you follow through in your commitments, you know what happens? You sleep better. You're not haunted by daytime nightmares. And you don't find it necessary to avoid people. You know, Ecclesiastes 5.5 5 says, it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. When you say to someone that you'll call them, do you? When you say to someone, I'll pray for you, do you? I want to give you a couple of helpful hints when it comes to honoring our commitments. Here's the first helpful hint. Count the cost ahead of time. You can look up the passage in Luke 14, uh, verses 28 to 31, where Jesus talks about, does anyone build a tower without first calculating the cost? Does anyone go into battle without calculating, can I handle this and can I go against this foe? So that's one of the key things we need to do is count the cost ahead of time. Make sure you understand what you're making a commitment to complete. And then the second helpful hint is to be timely as we do this. Be timely in fulfilling our commitments. I read the story uh, this week about a father who'd promised his son he was going to build him a fort in the backyard. And the son kept asking his dad about the fort. And the father kept promising, someday, soon, we'll get it done. And finally, after a long, long period of delay, he got around to building it. In fact, he spent two entire weekends working long into the night. But by then, his boy had become a teenager and turned 13. And he never once even stuck his head inside of the fort. We need to be timely. Let me ask you a personal question that you can wrestle with. 
How confident are people with you that you will fulfill your promises? How confident? As a child of the king, we're to be clear in our allegiances, disregard those who abandon God's standards, honor those who follow the Lord. We're to keep our commitments even when it costs. And then another thing that's to be consistently present in our public practices, number three, is we're to refuse to take advantage of another's distress. We see that in uh, verse five in that first phrase. He does not put out his money at interest. Now, when you read that, you think, what? I mean, there's not, what's going on here? And so we need to clarify a little bit here for a moment because there's a culture gap between us and our culture today and at the time that David wrote this. He is not saying that lending is wrong. He is not saying that charging some interest is wrong. Leviticus 25, 35, and 36 says that they were not to be charging usurious interest to their countrymen. Usurious, by the way, means exorbitant. And we know that Jesus was not against investment and interest. In Matthew 25, 27, he tells the story of the parable of the talents, and he talks about how important it is to realize that you take your talent and you invest it so that it earns interest. So this is not saying that lending is wrong or interest is wrong, but here's the background that's important to understand. In David's day, it was very, very common in that world to charge up to 50% interest to people. In fact, we know that the Assyrians, which was a parallel culture to the Jewish culture, they charged up to 140% interest. And so the idea is we're not to be doing that. In fact, the word that is translated interest in verse 5, if you have an NIV, it would be the word usury, exorbitant. In fact, again, Hebrew is very picturesque here because the word that is translated interest is the word neshek in Hebrew. Neshek comes from a word that means to bite something, to bite off something. And the idea here is financial exploitation. We're not to do that. We're not to take a bite out of another person at rates that would take a bite out of them. We're not to take advantage of another person's financial distress. We're not to take advantage of people that are down and destitute because we can do it. You know, uh, we were talking about this as a staff, and one of the greatest illustrations that I thought of and the staff thought about right away are these payday loan companies that are out there today. You know, the cash advance people, we'll give you a cash advance on your next paycheck. You know, this is designed to take advantage of those who are struggling, those who are having trouble making it week to week on their pay. And they'll say, I'll loan you some money for a week or two weeks. You know, the Consumers Union did an investigation of these folks, and they found rates, check this out, for one week of a loan as high as 911%. For a two-week loan, 456%. And for a month loan, 212%. No, 
That's not what a citizen of heaven does. And this is not just talking to companies, by the way. It's talking to us as citizens of heaven. And you say, well, what's, what's behind all of this? What's motivating this? Well, at the heart of it all is simply that God cares about the needy. He always has. That's why in Leviticus 19.9, he said to those who are harvesting, don't harvest the corners. Skip the corners of the field so people can come and they would glean. The poor people would come and take the food from the corners of the field because God cares about the poor and the needy. I want you to keep your finger in Psalm 15. I want you to fly over with me in the New Testament to James 1.27. James 1.27. James is right behind the the book of Hebrews. And we see the heart of God for those who are needy coming through in James 1.27. It's a familiar verse to, to some. But I just want you to notice what it says. It says, their pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. By the way, visit doesn't mean, means more than just say hi to them. It implies personal involvement. We're to reach out to them. If you're going to boil it down. He's saying this is what it it really is all about, that we have a heart for those who are needy. And so when we think about people that are needy, our first thought should not be, what can I gain from them, but rather, how can I help them? I want you to to jot down two verses. I want you to think about this week in your private uh, devotional time to peruse these prayerfully and think about what God might be communicating to you. One is Luke 14, verses 13 and 14, and the other one is Galatians 2, 10. So wrestle with that a little bit. See how God might be talking to you. So what is to be consistently present in our life and our public practices? We're to be clear in our allegiances. We're to keep our commitments even when it costs us. We're to refuse to take advantage of another's distress. And then fourthly, Another aspect is that we cannot be bought. We cannot be bought. Notice it says in the middle part of verse 5, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. The Bible has a lot to say about bribes. In Proverbs 15.27, it says that bribes bring trouble. In Ecclesiastes 7.7, it says a bribe corrupts the heart. Proverbs 28.6 Better is the poor who walks in integrity than he who is crooked, though he be rich. By the way, I want you to look at that verse. That's a verse that you ought to keep ever before you. Better is the poor who walks in integrity than he who is crooked and is rich. And you might be sitting there going, no one's ever bribed me. Uh, I've never received a bribe. And that's probably true in one sense. But in another sense, you know what? We bribe ourselves all the time. In the name of I need to get a great college education or I need to have uh, better stuff or I need to have more stuff, what do people start to do? They bribe themselves. They'll start lying. They'll start cheating. They'll start deceiving. They'll start stealing. They'll start embezzling. And they're bribing themselves when they do that. 
You know, it's been shocking to me to see how much embezzlement has become rampant in our culture. You cannot go one week without reading about it. People who are embezzling for small, from small businesses, people who are embezzling in political offices, people who are embezzling in charitable organizations, people who are embezzling in churches. What are they doing? They're bribing themselves. I have to tell you, I was grieved recently when I heard about the story of another pastor, another pastor, who was misleading his congregation, saying to them that they needed more money, when in reality they really didn't, who was buying stuff with church money to put into his own home where finances to him were, in essence, even in the church, were all about what he could get. And you think, oh, those liberal churches. No, no, this was an evangelical church. This was a church that stood up for the name of Jesus. And this is another pastor I heard about. I can't tell you how many I have heard. It just, it, frankly, it, it sickens me. And it grieves the heart of God. Citizen of heaven cannot be bought. And notice what it says in the very last phrase again. He who does these things will never be shaken. As you walk through life, you'll be on stable ground. Turn to the beginning of the book of Psalms. I want you to see a great little verse there in Psalm 1, verse 3. talks about he delights in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And notice it says in verse 3, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. The Lord Jesus in John 13, 17 said, now that you know these things, he said, you are blessed if you do them. It's been a good study of Psalm 15. And as we close our study, I want to think about some life response that we can have this morning, and it involves two words. The first word is the word choose, and the second word is the word remember. And when I talk about choose, what do I mean? Well, by life response, we need to choose wisely. Men and women, it's going to be a daily choice. When we see the character that we are to be building in our life, it's a daily choice for each one of us to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to live authentic lives as the citizens of heaven. And I'm going to have choices to make in the days and the weeks and the months and the years ahead, and you're going to have choices to make in the days, in the months, in the weeks, in the years ahead. And I think God's counsel to us is to choose wisely. Second thing by way of life response is the idea of remember. We need to remember, this is what's exciting to me, that God honors right choices. God honors right choices. In Second Chronicles 16.9, it says this. This is an amazing verse. It says, the eyes of the Lord are moving to and fro through the earth. 
that he may strongly support. The idea is aggressively aid those whose heart is completely his. See, God is looking for people who have a commitment to build the right kind of character. And when he finds them, he wants to be there to strongly support them and aggressively aid them. It's something I want in my life. And I know you want it in yours too. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for for Psalm 15, for all that it means to us. It's what an incredible, incredible opportunity this is to set our goal out there, to set our sights on character that's worth building. We know we're going to make mistakes. We're going to fall short. But we would pray that you would raise up a number of young men and women and other men and women who are part of this fellowship, that we might be men and women of character. And when we are, we know that you're going to be there to strongly support us. We thank you for working in and through us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is always at work convicting us of sin. And may we make the right choices for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.